2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. This is Stevie Kim here. And we are here today with our ambassador at Lodge, Noelle Dorsey. She was acclimated as officially as the Italian wine ambassador from the flag edition, flagship edition in 2022, uh, just before Vinitoli. But she's been part of the community for some time now. When when was when was the first time you you tried for the Via program? Um,
3: the first time was 2017
2: with Ian. Oh my God, that yeah. seems like ages ago, right? I know
3: that's how I met Ellen too. Yeah, A lot yeah, of and yep, you guys have been
2: like I always like in the beginning. I used to get you guys mixed up. Not that you look alike, <laughs> but you guys are like always together, you know. So I always thought you are one of the same, but. Um, Congratulations again. Where are you now? I know you usually hang out in Nantucket. You know, I'm in Boston
3: now. Um, I have been working in Boston at uh, Skinner Auctioneers as the seller manager over um, in their fine wine and spirits department. So I left Nantucket. My last season in Nantucket was actually a while ago. It was um, 2019.
2: Oh, my God. I should have come visit before. Um, We can still plan a trip, Stevie. Yeah, okay. Okay, all right. And what is the um, um, Skinner Auctions? What 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 kind of like? I mean, is it just like another secondary market correct. An auction house?
3: Yes, correct. So they do. They I mean they they focus on, of course, fine art and jewelry, etc. They were um, the largest in New England, but definitely one of the smaller auction houses. And they actually just got bought by Bonhams um, in the UK. So. We are so now what part are of the Bonham's now? team. It's called Bonham Skinner.
2: Oh, Bonham <laughs> it just, and Skinner. Now. They
3: just merged the names. Does
2: that mean like you can kind of um vacillate between the UK and Stateside?
3: Uh, I hope so. We'll see. That is okay. the one of the goals. Yeah, but they have offices all over the, the
2: world actually. So right. And yeah. you're doing you're also doing some um teaching, right? Are you yes. doing any yeah, I'm teaching, teaching uh,
3: at this wine school called the Commonwealth Wine School. It's in mm-hmm. Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, and it kind of got started right before the pandemic. So our first year was pretty much only online. Uh, but they do, you know, great stuff. A lot of private tastings as well, um, trade uh, tastings and yeah, lots of classes for WS- WSET and Um, I'm teaching a rosé class next week, and I'm going to teach a Sardinia class in July. Oh,
2: Sardinia. You're the expert now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Trying to be. Trying.
2: So by the way, you guys, um, for those out there in the audience, check out our video. It's, I think, day two? No, day three. you You're narrating day three. Yep. Um, Our trip, we did a five-day trip in Sardinia, Gita Scholastica with uh with the vi community and it was it was november of last year and it was great fun we had oh amazing yeah it was it was great fun uh we rented like two um vans one jacopo drove and the other one um andrea i was always squeezed between andrea and Shensa yeah i was i was right
3: behind you guys yeah
2: (laughs) <laughs> but it's we have we have great memory. It was so much fun. Um, so check out the video. It's it's on the mama jumbo shrimp, our sister channel, um, YouTube's that we started about 10 months ago. So check that out. And also subscribe, you folks. Subscribe to Italian podcast as well. All right. Let's let's go on with the show of today. Today's call is with Mario Gian- Zanusso. And I, I believe I've not never met him. Why did you choose Mario Zanusso?
3: So I first got introduced to Mario's Wines when I was a wine director at this restaurant in Boston called Island Creek Oyster Bar. And um, the rep, she's basically the importer for Massachusetts. Her name is Gemma Giannoni. And she um, brought in Ferdinando to taste the wines. Um, It was the first time I'd ever heard of them. I guess this was probably 2015 or so. And, um, you know, always looking for really pure crisp, mineral-driven whites. The list at the time was 80% white and really fell in love um, with the Friolanos she showed me. Um, we put them on the list immediately and they have a gorgeous uh, sparkling rebola called RBL. Uh, and that was per- went perfect for the food. Um, so I, I really fell in love with these wines. It was my first introduction and their whole ethos of more natural, um, minimal intervention. Winemaking, um, yeah. And I, then Ferdie and Mario come to Boston a few times. And then I was lucky enough to stay actually at Eclivi for a week in 2017 fall. I was gonna work a small harvest, but that didn't work out so great because it rained every day. So um, we decide uh, we they have a close relationship with um, Rado Vineyard in the Burda. And so luckily, I got to at least go and pick some grapes over in the Burda. But uh, the home is right in the vineyards. And I got to uh, get a tour of the winery and the property and eat beautiful Freeland cuisine and go to La Subida. And it was a special time for sure.
2: Yeah, you know, as you know, we had our um, sponsor was Berta for the uh, Five Star Wines um, judges this year. And that I went to that territory last, I believe last August. I think it was in August. It's it's absolutely beautiful. It's it's oh, you stunning. cross the border without like noticing, just with the flinch of an eye. Like you you can be in Berta one moment and you can be in Ruli one moment. So right. It's, right. There, it, it's it's amazing, it's beautiful. I love the wines from that area as well. Oh, so listen, incredible. what are the learning objectives from today?
3: Uh so today we're going to talk about the reasoning, I guess, behind the organic, non-interventionist methods. Um, Mario talks a lot about punca soil, and while some Italian ambassadors might know what punca soil is um, and its effect on the grapes, a lot of listeners won't. Um, and about that, and um, also winemaking method for the Friolano grape.
2: Okay, that sounds interesting and exciting. So, take it away, and I'm, I'll pass the floor to you, Noel but I will come back to see if there are any questions, if we have any time. Okay. Sounds great. Alrighty. Ciao.
3: Ciao. Ciao, Mario. Ciao, Noel. Uh, uh, I'm going to just do a quick introduction, um, about Mario and his wines, and then we will get into, uh, the questions, the interview, but I just wanted to say, uh, Mario Zunuso is a winemaker in, uh, Friuli, Venezia, Giulia. He is a wine maker by the winemaker at Clevi Wines, and they're based in the Collio Colli Orientali uh, districts. He specializes in indigenous Friulian varieties, so Ribolla Gialla, Friulano, uh, most recently uh, Schiopatino, um, as well as Malvasia, and they do a more natural, non-interventionist approach, so really pure, beautiful wines. This. History behind the winery is fascinating. Uh, His father, Ferdinando, lived in Africa and worked for the UN before they started this project um, in Friuli in 1995. And um, basically, I think it was after, and Mario can uh, give us more background, but um, Ferdinando's wife was from this region, the Colio area, and uh, they moved back and started this vineyard. Uh, And this winery, with not much um, winemaking experience. So I'm very, very excited uh, to talk to Mario about it. Uh, Ferdinando uh, did pass away in 2020, right before the pandemic. So before it was just Ferdinando and Mario, and now Mario is the sole proprietor. So yes, that's the background. And um, Mario, I'm very excited to talk with you today. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about The family history and the background of Ferdinando in uh, Africa, Uh, especially. I'm curious. Did you also grow up, or did you also live there for a while with your mother and any siblings, or how? How did that go during that time of your life? Uh,
4: uh, Well, hello everybody. Hello Noel. Hello Stevie. Um, Yes, I lived. I did live. Uh, for a while in Africa with my father, uh, when I was two months or years old, two months old, I was brought to Africa. and Then I was raised there. But let's say that the the the, the story starts even uh, before that, when my grandfather, who had my same name, Mario, uh, was a doctor in Cormons, which is the capital of the Collio DOC, and um, he was. Uh, taken by the the nazis and brought to germany in a concentration camp and we never heard about him my mother never met him actually she was she still had to be born when he got taken away and so let's say that the whole project is kind of a uh, going back home to put roots in my mother's birthland which is kormons so after many many decades of um, traveling around, especially in Africa, mostly in Africa, because my father worked there. Uh, We had the chance to go back to Cormons in the mid-90s, so it was nice to to get home. Um, The passion for wine um, has always been present in my family. Uh, My father worked for a French company, that's why he was in Africa, because this logistic company had the headquarters in Paris, and... These people trained my father, taught my father about good wines. Uh, These years, I'm talking about the 60s, were the good years for the French wines. You could still afford them. They weren't so expensive, such expensive as today. So my father, who was a very deep and, uh, let's say, intellectual man, uh, liked to, um, to, to, to study, uh, wine uh, and to get into the, the the aesthetics of wine, so he he always took me around wineries estates uh, when since I'm, when I was a kid I still have labels that I designed when I was four, just for <laughs> for play, and so it was it was something that's always it was always around it was always there the wine as a form of culture as a cultural expression. He was very. He taught me to be very respectful about the work that was uh, behind every single wine, and uh, and I always appreciate that. So when uh, I finally graduated in economics in the mid '90s, my father retired at that very time, and so we started together. This I joined him, and we started together this uh, this entire journey, and it was uh, it was very exciting. It was like it was like na- the natural destination.
3: Was this something that you and Ferdinando had talked about quite often when you went to major in economics, or was this something no. that sort of okay?
4: not not at all. He was uh, following a different path. Uh, I had a different uh, uh, we were kind of separated because he was in Africa, and when I started university, I was in Italy for a long time, so we we never we just spoke on the phone. We met really um, just a few times uh, per year. So I I really needed to to have time with him. That's why I decided to to join him because I wanted to to be with my father as a person because I really respected him. I liked him. I liked the ideas he taught me, and I said, "Oh, this is a great opportunity to." for my life, to, to do something with my father and something that I was raised to be passionate about. So it, it happened really by chance, but it was a very naturally how it happened.
3: That's amazing. Yeah, it sounds like it happened quite organically.
4: Yeah.
3: So, but both of you did not have a background in winemaking or no. anything like that. So no. how did that come about? Did you, you know, work with various enologists or interview a lot of your neighbors and colleagues? or, or how
4: uh, that, Both. How did you
3: get started?
4: Okay. We, we started working with an enologist uh, as a consultant. And, but my father knew and he always taught me about this uh, basic principle, which is if you work on a great soil, on a great terroir, uh that's 90% of the work i mean um in the salary you can just ruin what nature gave you <laughs> so we really never it was never uh, it, it never bothered us to not not having an education uh, uh, also it excited us to have um uh An approach which was uh, from um, from f- from from the outside, I would say from people who were not trained so didn't have these schemes, these um, prejudices, prejudices or, or or technical competence and so we could really do it from scratch uh, using just our um, sensitivity, our instincts. And that's why we started with this enologist, because we we um, tasted some wines that he he made from greater wars and with a really little interventionist um, process as for the transformation of the of the grapes into the wine so wild yeasts which, kind of um, was the easiest way to go because we didn't have to choose from thousands of different strains of yeast that were available on the market. We just relied on what were the the natural yeast of of the grapes we were picking. And uh, we chose stainless steel as a neutral vat to start with because we didn't have to deal with all the complication of other other vats materials so we we chose simplicity to start with because we knew that the first thing for us was to understand what sort of raw material we had in our hands and we knew that these vineyards were great were greatly exposed were old vines and so the quality we had in our hands were great was great we just needed not to ruin that
3: that's fantastic. How did you find um some of these sites? Were they more well known or did you was it uh, a
4: It's uh it was a matter of a, a lot of work, uh going around, uh visiting, sightseeing. Um the truth is that especially at that time, but also nowadays, nobody wants to work on the hills in Friuli because it's very it, it has a lot of, it's very labor intensive. Uh, the the yields are very low. So people prefer to go in, in full um, uh, mechanization of the vineyards on the plain. Uh, there's a lot of glera, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. So uh, working on the hills is more, uh, requires a lot of passion and a lot of ingenuity. <laughs> Naivete, because you need to really, believe in that strongly believe in that and and putting that as the main um, goal quality expression of the terroir instead of money making so we were lucky enough to find these old vines that nobody wanted to buy because of all these reasons and but we we really did want to get our hands into the earth into the soil and uh, and do the physical work because we we came from different backgrounds compared to uh, well-established producers which uh, were completely used to that and they were looking for more um, technology instead of hand-working. We were looking for the handworking. We were looking for the for the physical work to to reach and find a contact. Um, and that symbiosis with the with the earth, with the soil,
3: now we're talking about the soil, and you write quite a bit about um what is what punka about punka soil and would you be able to tell um the guests today what punka soil is? I mean, is it difficult to work with? You're talking about getting in the soil with your hands. I mean,
4: how it's- is it to
3: work with them?
4: Ponca, uh, it's it's a local name for for the soil of the hills of of Friuli, which are a small strip uh, of land uh, on the Slovenian border. Um, Geologically, it's a single island uh, that covers Collio, Collio d'Italia and Berda. So Iclivi means hills and uh, um, comprehends... Colio and Colerenntali uh, and in the future in the near future is going to comprehend also Burda so we're going to make Eclebia as a concept of uh, working on the hills which were a single uni- unique island in the past and then for historical reasons has been separated but um, Ponca it's it's essentially it's um, it's a soil that is emerged from the sea it was covered by the sea and the sea left a lot of interesting layers, layerings of limestone, clay, and other organic matter, which is uh, then emerged because of the tectonic blocks that pushed up the hills. And this richness in uh, in, in in sea matter is very is key to to the salinity of the. Uh, of the wines that are produced here this is what i recall since when i was a kid this specific tension acidic and and and, and salinity this is it's like electricity that you have just on the punk Ponka is a local name that ex- expresses this this type of soil
3: do you find certain grapes thrive um better than other like do you feel like Friulano suits really well or do you think generally a lot of the Friulian varietals express well in ponca soil?
4: uh i think many many different grapes can express uh, the 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 the, the essence of the soil Friulano is challenging it's very interesting and it's uh, traditional so focusing on uh, local uh, native grapes is a way of uh, Simplifying the communication about the Ponca soil. Uh, unfortunately, we have uh, like 23 different uh, variety, um, different grape varieties uh, allowed by the DOC rules, which makes a lot of confusion when you ha- speak about Friuli. So that's why we focused on the local grape varieties. Uh, you can have many grape varieties having really good results on this soil. I We decided together with my father to focus on the historical ones because... We think that and we thought that uh, the the character is given by these native grapes more than by, let's say, French or international grapes. So we focused on Furano and later on Ribolla. Furano is what we started with. And then we introduced Ribolla. And my father was really uh, smart in, in understanding the potential of the grape Ribolla.
3: So you also say you exclusively use stainless steel and cement in the cellar? Uh,
4: yes, we started with stainless steel because stainless steel is a neutral vat that helps you uh, learn. It's a perfect school to to learn about all uh, the vinification uh, issues that you can deal with. So it 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 was like um it was great because it's neutral towards the raw material. So we. Had to learn what sort of character this raw material had. We weren't ready to to use other other containers. Uh, but now, uh, two two years ago, I started also adding some cement, and last year, this past vintage, I also added some oak. This is because it's uh, the natural mm, uh, evolution of a of a maturation of a of a path. Which uh, has to involve all sorts of uh, material. Uh, without, it, it, I call it uh, a secular approach to winemaking, not focusing on uh, just taking one specific container and 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 sticking to that for for the entire life, but trying and experimenting how to um, express the same style towards different materials.
3: Excellent. I'd love to try some of these, at some point soon. Um, so this is the first time you've ever used oak, basically. In your tasting, uh,
4: we, we did uh, in in ninety seven. We did use oak. Uh, we did use oak for both for whites for Sulano and for the Merlot, but. Um, we we immediately understood that it was a, a long. Uh, we needed to study more. Frulano, it's a complicated variety to treat with oak because it's very low in, in acidity, and it's very concentrated. So uh, going even further and concentrating that leads often to, I, I call it heavy frulanos, which is what we tried to avoid for a long time and then i matured a different perspective and now uh, that i started using oak i can see that i can pursue and express that style being consistent with what we did in the past but being more projected into the future as a professionally and technically as a winemaker
1: head to italianwinepodcast.com from July 1st to the 31st and click the link. We thank you and back to the show. One of
3: the um, prolific wine moments I've had was uh, tasting, I think it was the 97 Galea Friolano. Yes. Um, It was incredible. And it was sort of this moment when I realized how well Robola, excuse me, Friulano can really age. And yes. It was it was really like a pristine gorgeous moment um, for me. Uh, are you are any other producers working with the Brazan and Galea vineyards or can you tell us a little bit more about both of these sites and Yes. The uh, Br- Br-
4: Br- Br- was the first vineyard we bought in the mid 90s. Uh it It's uh, southwest exposed, which is the best exposure, especially for Friulano grape, because it takes sun during the whole day until late in the afternoon. And uh, so the maturation is perfect for Friulano. So we started there. Then uh, um, we were looking, it it was a two hectare, hectares vineyard, so it was a, a little bit small. We were looking for something bigger to 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 have a, a, an actual estate and to live yeah. after that. So we found the Galea, which was in a different province and a different DOC, but was just three miles away. And uh, that was in 96. And so um, we got these two vineyards that had in common the age of the vines, which were was very old for both of them. At the time, was 60 and 70 years old. So we had this common trait, the perfect exposure. The age of the vine, which has become the the main character of, uh, of of the grapes and hence of the wines. So we 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 started from this very simple thought. We said we are not trained, we are not educated as winemakers, but if we start with a great crop, we can really make terroir wines, uh, very classic, very. Mm, let's say, old-fashioned for the time, because in the mid-90s, Friuli was really much um, making international-style wines, which I would say nowadays are completely (laughs) out-fashioned. But uh, we were looking for something more pure and expressive of the the classic history of the of Friuli, which is, uh, is um, it's a culture of uh, German influence, because especially the colony was under the Austrians and the Germans. And so when the pioneers of the quality wine making, I'm talking about bottled wine, um, when they started making good wines, they, they, they went to, to Germany to understand, to learn how to make really interesting wine, uh, Terrar Express.
3: Wow, I wasn't sure. I just I didn't realize that close German uh, vineyard connection. But that makes sense with like the steeper hills, hillsides. Yeah, it, and whatnot.
4: It, it, it's very far uh, in terms of uh, of type of grapes, because Riesling is not comparable in any way with any of the native grapes we have. But uh, the style, the purity, the cleanness, the lightness, I would say, the neutral, vat and the tension, that was the the, the 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 values that we were focusing on, and, and this is history. So we didn't want to invent anything, we didn't have to invent anything, we just had to rely on what was our um, formation as wine drinkers, and which was towards this style of wines. So this is what we tried to reproduce when we started making wines. Going back to a classic style which then was forgotten and now slowly maybe it's coming back. but for instance, I was tasting some wines today from the vat uh, my wines two thousand twenty one vintage so very young uh, we have to bottle some of them uh, in in a couple of months we were making tastings and uh, and I was shocked by the by the quality, by the tension and and I was and the guy I was tasting with, uh, he works with me, and he was looking at me and was saying, why are you shocked? I mean, this is how wine should come in this soil if you just don't screw it up. You just let the terroir speak. You make a very simple but precise and accurate vinification. This is the minimum. And I said, you're right, but still I'm amazed by how can it be so amplified the, the, the terroir by, by, by this grape. I'm talking about Friulano. And it's uh, still impressive. Every year I'm still impressed.
3: Yes, I mean, <clears throat> the Galea vineyards in particular, like I mentioned, everyone should try those wines. They're just spectacular, really gorgeous, lush, rich. And it's very exciting to hear that... Um, 2021 is showing quite well i mean was the harvest a good harvest this year or how would you describe the harvest this year 2021 i mean
4: um the the harvest was was great we had a a full september without any rain which is usually the the main issue with harvest in friuli usually in september the the weather breaks so we have to work in the small windows of sun we have to pick up the grapes. But with this uh, past vintage, we had the whole month. So we could really fine tune the picking according to the perfect maturation state. And uh, also there is this thing that every year you gain more experience, you gain more confidence so um, this shows into the wines because you you can really make the r- the right decisions effortlessly and this uh, leads to um, a very natural expressed wine and it's it's difficult to explain but uh, the less you do but knowing what you're doing and the better the wine comes. Uh, sometimes there is this bias given by the use of technology. We have so much technology, so we are gonna use it, <laughs> but this is gonna break a balance that, and you're gonna taste that into the wine. So let's say that year by every year, every vintage, uh, we we learned, and we learned that we need to stay on the background of the of the work, not being in the in the center of the stage Uh, we just uh, to work behind the stage and and make everything uh, work right the whole process uh, which is a very natural process if you're just playing with it or dancing with it if you want to put it like that very lightly very uh, casually even but with perfect knowledge of what's happening So,
3: in Boston, RBL, your sparkling Rebola, is a is a true favorite. You can find it on so many wine lists here in Boston. Um, can you tell us a bit about this wine? And um, was the plan to create a sparkling Rebola in the Asti mes- me- method always the final result, or
4: no? Uh, it, it started from uh, from mm, we, we really. We're excited starting working with ribola. So we started with the still ribola. But then we had um, we had an example of a great ribola sparkling for the, the, the enologist we were working with at the very beginning. And uh, so we were tasting all the sparkling ribolas. And we said, but this is a great sparkling. So the, the, the type of grape is great for sparkling because of its low pH, low sugar content, It's a a very uh, subtle aromatically and a problem you have to deal with uh, when you're talking about sparkling wines. If you have plenty of aromas, these are going to be amplified by by the CO2. That's going to kind of make it even more aromatic. So Ribolla is perfect for the style of sparkling we were looking for, which was very elegant, very fine and at the beginning we tried the charmat we tried the the Champenoise, but uh, then we very uh, immediately understood that rebolet's so delicate it can't bear a secondary fermentation it's like cooking twice spaghetti for instance you have to nail it at the first <laughs> at the first uh, attempt uh, so the, the the first fermentation is the one that keeps the the primary aromas, the varietal aromas, the delicacy of the grape Ribolla. So when we experimented, that we said, okay, this is the this is good, this is perfect because we are we're not adding any sugar, no yeasts for to uh, induce a secondary fermentation, and we had all we wanted from the grape, but amplified by the CO2. So it was pure pure pleasure. That was the idea. It reminded me. I remember uh, one of the, the the names I had in mind for that wine was snow neve, because the purity, the clear, the clear purity of the moss reminded me of snow. Uh, so this is how that it is started. And, yeah, and year by year we of course uh, fine-tuned the winemaking. So now I'm picking late picking the grapes because you need to have all the sugars there since you're adding no sugars no yeast you need to have all the maturity there so it's a it's a sparkling wine designed uh slightly differently from uh the 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 common methods we know it's also different from asti because asti leaves um, high residual sugars whereas here the goal is to to go full dry of the sugars, because ribolla is not as aromatic as uh, uh, moscato, so any residual sugar would immediately turn it into a dull, ordinary wine, which we don't need.
3: It's fascinating to hear how you make it, because it really is so successful and just very pure and just a gorgeous, gorgeous sparkler. Um, Thank one you. Of my, I think it's my favorite, um, sparkling rebola for sure. But one of my favorite sparkling wines across the board, honestly, it's quite
4: great. Thank you. Yes. Um, the, it's, it's, interesting. I mean, I like very really much, uh, the, the idea came up and it was immediately, we said, it's a nice idea. When you have a nice idea, it works in its simplicity.
3: Yeah, it definitely works. Congrats. Um I had a question uh, cuz you were mentioning you were mentioning Moscato and the, the more sweet style but you also have you have a Verduzzo. Yes. That you make in a dry style uh, which is quite unique. Um, was the intention to always make a dry style? Have there been experiments with sweet wine in the past? Uh,
4: the the very first vintage uh, we the very first harvest we picked of Verduzzo was 97 and we we actually did a sweet wine. But uh, Verduzzo lacks the the acidity to to make a truly outstanding sweet wine. So we weren't really satisfied with the outcome. And um, historically, I remembered Verduzzo. My father taught me taught me about Verduzzo being as demi sec or dry white wine, and he made me taste some wines made in that fashion in the past i'm talking about the 70s and i always remembered this class the class that these wines had and so mm, we just tried it dry since uh, culturally the, the the verduzzo especially in the southern part of the color where we are was a dry wine i even found some uh, historical records in the archives of Udine uh, showing Verduzzo dry um, succeeding in wine contests uh, in the in the 19th century. So um, there is definitely a background there for for for, for a dry wine, and the, the the results are of a truly elegant, rich, powerful wine that's fully expressive of the terroir of uh, of the Ponca. So. Uh, it was natural to 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 follow that path and and vinify that that way, uh, because it's so much expressive. And even whenever I have a blind tasting of all the range, usually Verduzzo is the one that everybody goes back to, because it's so unique and that gains the interest immediately. For people tasting all over the world, whenever I taste it, people say, Oh, this is a great white wine full of structure, uh, body, but at the same time, it's elegant. It's like a red, light red wine. It has these red fruits in its aromas, which is very, very fascinating.
3: We actually enjoyed a bottle of that this past April uh, at Boteco del Vino. It was a nice uh-huh. treat to have that. <laughs> With some of the other fellow ambassadors, so it was great. Um, and I noticed you are also now working with Cabernet Franc, um, or maybe, yes. or maybe you have been, and I, I was unaware. Um, have how long have you been working with Cab Franc? Uh,
4: Cabernet Franc, <laughs> it's a, it's a recent project. Um, in fact, all the red wines were kind of left aside for a while. We just did a little Merlot, but we, we spent more, almost 10 years focusing on whites in developing our own style, vision. Technically, we ne- really need, needed to go deep into that. So um, red wines were not on our radar for a while. But then through Scuppettino, which is also known as Ribolla Nera, black Ribolla, uh, the red wines came back into our... <laughs> Um, in, in, into our um, perspective. So um, through schioppettino then I was offered uh, a low um, a lease uh, of a vineyard of Cabernet Franc in Butrio, which is a great area of the color in Italian for reds. And I said, I want to try it because uh, Cabernet Franc has always been uh, interpreted as a herbal greenish, vegetal wine in Friuli, very um, deep in color, very herbal on the nose. I really never liked it. So I said, I want to, I want to try it, and I really liked the results. And so it's part of um, of a path that uh, that's towards finding terroir expressions, uh, no matter the variety, using the variety as a, as a mean to express the soil, the subsoil. And the local culture, so I, I really wanted to do something I never thought about doing, which was a cabernet franc and this opened a whole a uh, lot of other opportunities which I'm experimenting right now and uh, which I'm very happy about it because it's a, it's, a, it's a personal growth you reach toward through making wine.:
3: That's very exciting too. Uh, were you picking a little later with Cabernet Franc?
4: Yes, okay. yes, picking a little bit later, macerating a little bit less, so the infusion of the skin is it's very it's very light, uh, just twice remontages per day in, instead of the usual three we did on the Merlot, and it's um, it's like painting with a very light touch and. It's. Uh, it was uh, the twenty 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 was the first vintage of Cabernet Franc we released, uh, and uh, now I'm taking, it, I'm I'm doing it also in twenty twenty one, and it's gonna be part of uh, of the range. So it's gonna be. Scopetino's the main red red grape variety. Merlot, because historically we always been doing Merlot and adding a little bit Cabernet Franc. It's. Uh, it was uh, very very interesting for me.
3: Have you blended some of these grapes? Um, once upon a time, no. or no? Okay.
4: No, uh, I'm blending the whites. I'm going back to the original um, blend of Barzán, which were born as and designed as field blends, so with all the grapes of the same vineyard. Instead of focusing on single varietal uh, wines, but for the reds, no, because historically Scopettino. Has always been vinified as a single varietal wine. Uh, so it goes for Merlot and Cabernet. So it's uh, I'm not ready for that, and I'm not really much interested about that. I'm really focusing on blending the whites. In fact, uh, the first vin- the vineyard we bought, we were talking about in '95. I just replanted it uh, last year, in the past year, and we're finishing now to prepare the soil, because, uh, and the idea is to close the circle and to go back to the origin with the same composition, field composition, which is Ribolla, Friulano, Malvasia, and a little bit of uh, Picolit. So the focus for the future, not only by myself, but also by, let's say, uh, the colleagues we I'm, I'm really exchanging experiences with is to go back to the blend of the grapes, white grapes, which is the uh, local culture was more about that, more about blending different grapes, native grapes, instead of focusing on single, varietal wines.
3: And with that, it also feels like a full circle when you talk about Mario, your grandfather, yeah, actually doing the field blends, and now you are coming back to make a style yeah, that was similar.
4: Which is, a, which is which is a, a an old style i think we lost uh, as a community of winemakers we lost track of our history which is there and it's very simple what this history offers us as inspiration and we we are trying to go there back there getting over all these technology that have, we have been sold by a system that was also heavily subsidized. But uh, whenever we think, uh, when I say we, uh, I'm talking about myself and other producers. We say, but in the 70s, people were making great wines with just very basic pumps, uh, very <laughs> simple technology, and the terroir sort of came up, came out. Well, it's something that nowadays is much difficult to find because technology kind of evens everything and we're going kind of even in the wine from the hills to the plain so instead of having the plain the wine is making in the plain looking up for quality to the to the hills we're doing the the, the the exactly the the reverse and we need to be to lead the quality and to elevate the quality just going back to what the classic history is.
3: Well, that's that's incredible. I'm looking forward to trying some of these blends soon, and I have not yet tried the Cabernet Franc or Schioppettino either. So I'll have to ask Gemma.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, Schioppettino I'm really particularly proud of because that's also a, a project that was born many many years ago, always on. Uh, the impulse came, of course, from my father, who studied all the local culture, and he always taught me about Scopettino, what was the original classic style of Scopettino, a light wine, really spicy, but very fine, and and of course, I have these blueprints in myself, and I can't help it, so <laughs> Scopettino, it's a kind of the synthesis of um, many years of talking, traveling discussing, tasting, and it's uh, a wine I'm really, really happy about.
3: Well, thank you so much, Mariel, for speaking with us today. It's been a real treat and treasure to be able to talk with you and revisit some of your wines again and hear your story.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: Very interesting. Thank you. Um, And some people might have some questions. Uh, We leave this part for
2: potential Q&A. But yeah, this great. was this was excellent. I'm gonna bring uh Laika. Laika is our clubhouse manager. Um Chad Leica.
5: Chaos Stevie.
2: How Hi. are you? Where are you?
5: <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm home. I'm okay, all good. Because
2: you're always like on a train or shopping or something.
5: <laughs> no. Now um I'm so
2: Laika, tell us um a little bit about the program. The next um is there another by any chance another um call tomorrow?
5: Yes, there's gonna be another call tomorrow. Um I know you're All gonna right, be so in I'm Tuscany. not sure I can
2: make it because I'll be in Tuscany. We'll we'll <laughs> figure that out later offline. Okay. And um who's the guest tomorrow?
5: So we're gonna have um, Cedric Isri. So he's also um from um the Verona via Verona twenty twenty two um Italian Wine ambassadors.
2: Yeah, Noel, um, it's your classmate.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Cedric. So he's going to interview Frank Cornelison uh, for tomorrow. And for next week, um, we're also going to have Bev Borden. Um, She's going to interview Chiara Condello. um, And followed by uh, Monica Saks... Saks Okay, it's hard to pronounce her last name, but it's Saksueska. She's going to interview Sofia from Tenute Bosco. So that's what we have confirmed in the lineup.
2: Okay, great, fantastic. Um, like, did you have a question for Mario?
5: Um, yeah, I'm actually very curious because um, you started talking about um, a winemaking philosophy, but I, I wanted to hear from you, Mario. Like, what really is the your winemaking philosophy?
4: The winemaking philosophy that inspires the the all, all I do. Uh, it's the only one I I can I can think about. I mean, it's going back to the roots. It's going, doing something very respectful of the, of the soil. So really using very simple but accurate techniques that I'm constantly studying and trying to handle as a, a as much better as I can. And, uh, I'm, 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 I'm really inspired by this, so all it's about people I'm working with. It's about treating uh, the mast in a very respectful. It's very instinctual, I would say. It's not something fully rational. I'm following an instinct when I when I uh, when I'm in the cellar. It's I don't know. It's like playing an instrument. You can't really. Uh, track it down to just notes. It's more than that, it's more complex than that. But at the same time it's very simple when you do it, when you make it. I'm not following an idea of let's say natural wines, which is an abused word and has been emptied of its uh, meaning by so many years of using it without knowing what it was about. So I would say that classic winemaking of friuli is of course natural I would say that classic of uh, um, vine growing vine tending it's of course organic because this is how it was it's always been so it's just going back and adding a tiny little step in a very long path that was traced by our elders uh, in the centuries. And I think it's it's nice to think about a, a long historical thread when you think about wine. It's, I, I like to talk about cultural wine more than natural wines.
2: So Mario, I have a question for you. I mean, for those who are less familiar with your wines and winery, can you kind of give us um, kind of the big picture in terms of numbers? how many wines, how big your company is, um, how many bottles, um, Um, where you export, just to kind of contextualize your size and the volume.
4: Um, Today, um, we produce around 100,000 bottles um, divided into eight different labels, different varieties. And uh, we export half of it. Uh, most of it, of course, in the United States, which is a very important market for us. Also, thanks to, to Gemma, uh, that works in uh, in Boston, and helped us a lot to bring our wines into the States. Um, and uh, also, we have some side projects that bring the, 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 the overall figure around 150,000 bottles, because we're also experimenting um, different wines, different labels, different styles, but with the same philosophy underneath. So, and of course, now we have this plan, this project of also starting a cellar in, um, in Slovenia, in Berda. So, uh, it will be... That was my
2: next question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of you have... um uh vineyards and vines both in Burda and also in in the in the very borderline of both countries
4: yes uh uh we don't but um, I have established very strong ties with the uh, very good vine growers on the Burda because of course as I consider us a single region wine mm-hmm. wine making region yeah i agree with so you. Um, it's interesting to to create a community working all together instead of being myself let's say a landlord having people working for me i like to work together with people on the same level so um, uh, the, the new projects i have uh, for slovenia is to to involve people local people slovenian people that has to bring their own culture to the winemaking, and I want to do something that's uh, really ground rooted to that specific culture and soil, and uh, and so mm, yes, I'm just uh, experimenting, as I was saying, and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. So First of the, all, fun.
2: Yes, yeah, So, in the grand scheme of things, will you also be producing Slovenian wines?
4: Yes. Slovenian okay. wines meaning from Brda, but yeah, I'm, from not, I'm not yeah. thinking about um, uh, orange wines because they're too far from my uh, aesthetical sensitivity. Uh, although I, I like them, I drink them, I'm, I won't be able, I would not be able to, to get into them and making them because... I, I'm focusing on a different style, uh, which can also be translated into Slovenian style, because there's a lot of uh, very good land, and the culture can be very much uh, of good influence to 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 grow, to personal growth and professional growth. Uh, I like to say, wine is. I know it's it's not a good word, a nice word, but it's contamination. The must is being contaminated by yeast. So I like this idea of exchange, cultural exchange, as contra- reciprocal contamination.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to close up the room, uh, Mario, but how do people um, find you, if they want to come for a visit, for example, visit your winery, how, how do they do that?
4: Oh, they just can uh, r- uh, write me an email through eclivi uh, at gmail.com and I'll be happy to to make arrangements to to receive uh, visits. with what we do, especially in the summertime, constantly. And I'm very happy to have people visiting us.
2: Okay, fantastic. Grazie, Noel, and thank you for introducing Nadia um, to our community and we look forward to seeing you. Are you coming to any of our uh, GTA Yes, I would love to, I would love to.
3: I'll sign up for having
2: Yeah, it. we're going to Lugana, Franciacorta, uh, Montefalco and Sicily very soon, and oh, also Campania. That.
3: Yes, in Campania,
2: I saw that. Yeah, and Mario, if we get, we get a chance to go to your area, you'll be um,
4: hearing from us. Please, That's please sure. do, I'll be very happy. <laughs>
2: Okay, that's okay, it. Thank Signing you. off, and it's thank a wrap. You. Have a good night, everyone. Ciao ragazzi. Thank
4: you. Ciao ciao. Bye. 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 Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast. Brought to you by Venetoli Academy, home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at benataliinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com.